Amen. I invite uh, those of you who are watching online to grab your Bible if you don't already have your Bible with you. Um, I'm a big advocate of reading along yourselves, whether that be on paper, on print. I'm an old school guy. I love, uh, you can't replace the old school print, uh, or uh, you can do it on your phone, iPad, computer, whatever it may be. But I invite you to, to grab uh, your own Bible so you can read along with us. The words will be projected, and you'll, have, you'll be able to see uh, the words on the screen. But uh, if you need to look back at something, you miss something, it's better to have your own set of eyes on God's word. So go ahead and grab it real quick. I'll just be talking, so it, it, it's not a big deal anyway. Grab your, grab your Bibles. Uh, <laughs> we actually uh, have, I just learned uh, this past Friday, Jamie was over at the uh, woman's ministry over at, well, first off, did we solve the mystery? Is it Brian or Jen's house? It's, Brian, you have anything to say about that? Our, our house, Brian and Jen's house. There we go. What marriage is all about. What a great example there. So at their house, Brian and Jen's house, the women's, uh, women's ministry um, on Friday, uh, Missy was there and she was telling Jamie that uh, Missy works on sun, every Sunday. And so, but sun, come Sunday morning, she's watching us uh, every week with one of her clients. Um, and over Christmas, I uh, learned that uh, Jamie's Grammy watches us week in and week out. Out, and uh, my grandma also watches all the recordings as well. So hi to Missy and your client and Grammy and grandma and everyone else who is watching online this morning. But uh, so as we get on, on, more on target here, uh, being a parent is a huge blessing to me. It's a lot of work, but it also uh, reaps much joy in my life. Uh, Jamie and I, we didn't have a family in the area, so we made a family in the area. And I personally, I love being a dad. It's something I've looked forward to for a long, long time. Uh, lots of little boys, they dream about having the coolest car in the neighborhood. When I was a little boy, I would dream about being a dad. I know, uh, lame, I know, but that was me. I, I really look forward uh, to being a dad. I love little kids. Um, as much as I love being a dad though, and for all the years that I looked forward forward to being a dad, there is a stage of parenthood that I do not look forward to. I do not look forward to the why stage of parenthood. Never grow out of it, Shannon says. Uh, a parent tells their kids something and the child replies, why? And so the parent then proceeds to tell them, why? Then the child replies, Why? So then the parent then proceeds to tell them why. And then the child then replies, why? And if left up to the child, sometimes this could go on a seemingly never-ending cycle. We have a lot of parents here uh, this morning who have already been uh, through that phase, probably still in that stage. Uh, and so blessings to you parents out there in the why stage of parenthood. It's something that I don't look uh, specifically forward to as a father, even I even though I love being a father. Uh, but if this were to go on for a few rounds that the parent doesn't just say because I said so or because whatever, it may be the easy answer out there. If, we were, if this were to go on for a few rounds of the child asking why and the parent responding for some elaborate uh, reason as to why, uh, you may finish the discussion uh, a good bit different from where the discussion actually started. 
You know, sometimes people do this on their own as well. You look up one thing on the internet, and before you know it, that one search about how to plant a garden turns uh, into an hour later into a video about Star Wars. I know you have been there because I have been there as well. Uh, We see this actually play out in Paul's letter to the church at Rome as well. Last week, we started a new series on the book of Romans, and, and we entitled it Romans, the Foundation of Our our faith. As Paul here in this letter to the church at Rome, he, he outlines the foundation of our faith. So Paul, he, he is writing this letter to the church in Rome, and this is a church that consists of both Jewish and Gentile believers. These Jewish and Gentile believers, they had very different backgrounds, which would have severely altered their lifestyles as well. And so we have two very different, two uh, very diverse groups of people coming together to be the church. What a beautiful image. And so Paul expresses his desire to visit Rome, the church at Rome, and we'll see this pop up at the end as well. However, his purpose in writing this letter can be traced back to verse one uh, of this letter of Romans, where where Paul says he is set apart for the gospel of God. And so he seems to to write this letter to advance the gospel message. That, That is what he has been set apart to do, to advance this gospel message. And so here, Paul, he, he is writing to this diverse uh, church at Rome, and, he, and he's writing about this gospel message so that this diverse church can rally around this unifying message of the gospel. And so we pick up here uh, this morning in Romans chapter 1, and we'll be starting in verse 16 as we went through the first 15 verses last Sunday. And so Romans uh, chapter one, verse 16, as Paul is writing here to the church at Rome, he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of of God is revealed from faith for faith. As, As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So it's time for a tiny bit of a grammar lesson this morning. In school, I cannot stand going through grammar lessons. I didn't like to read, I didn't like to write, and I certainly did not want to learn the the system and the structure of the English language. Uh, But man, I wish I paid more attention back in school during my grammar lessons, as having a decent understanding of grammar is imperative to better understand the scriptures. And so kids... When you're going through a grammar lesson in school, pay attention, listen up, for, for it does have value even outside of that English class I'm finding out. And so in English language, the word for, F-O-R, can serve a number of different purposes. Probably the most common uh, use of the word for is as a preposition. Um, you know, I ran for the fridge. The word for can also be used as a conjunction a word to connect two different clauses. When it's used as a conjunction, it essentially means because. And so when I use for as as a conjunction, uh, I could say I ran to the fridge for I was hungry. Or in other words, what what I'm saying here, what I'm trying to express is that I ran to the fridge because I was hungry. That is why I ran to the fridge in the first place, because I was hungry. If I wasn't hungry, then I wouldn't be running to the fridge in the 
first place. And so this, this English uh, word for can mean a lot, and it can be uh, somewhat confusing from time to time. But in the Greek, they clean it up a bit. The conjunction for is simply G-A-R in the Greek gar. It can mean for, because, certainly, um, since, then, et cetera. You get the idea. And so this conjunction for or gar uh, in the Greek is used 138 times in the book of Romans alone. That's a lot. That's more than any other book of the New Testament. And so when author uses this word, this conjunction for, they are explaining something that they just talked about. That's important to know because the first six verses of our chunk of scripture this morning all begin with this conjunction for. And so Paul backtracks six different times and and is trying to support his previous claim that he made in the verse prior. And and so as we go through these first uh, six verses and and Paul taking a look at supporting a previous claim, what what is he supporting? Well, we see at the very beginning of the letter, Paul, he is set apart for the gospel of God. And in verse 15, he echoes this. He says, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And so Paul here, he, he is expressing that he has a sincere desire to share this gospel message to the people who are in Rome. And then six verses following, he proceeds, he starts the, these different verses with a conjunction for, and it can be hard to connect the dots if we aren't careful. So verse 15, Paul says, eager to preach the gospel. Well, Why? Why? Well, well, we find out that Paul, uh, he, he is eager to preach this gospel because he is not ashamed of this gospel. It's not a gospel that, that he hides in his room and, and keeps to himself. No, he is not ashamed of this gospel message. Well, why? Why isn't he ashamed of this gospel message? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Why be ashamed of a gospel message that expresses the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That is not a message to be ashamed of. That is a message to share with our family, our friends, our coworkers, the people at school, everybody that we come into contact, we should be sharing this gospel message for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so all we have to do to be saved is to believe this gospel message. And we're talking about a true belief, a belief and faith that alters your entire life. Too many have a belief that doesn't really alter their life. And so we may ask, is that really a true faith? Is that a true belief? Is that a saving faith, a belief that, that is sufficient to save us, to, to, uh, sufficient to accept that free gift of eternal salvation. And so why, uh, as, as we continue uh, along this, uh, this gospel message only saves those who believe in God, but it also reveals the righteousness of God. For this gospel message, the message of salvation reveals God's righteousness. Now, what happens if we don't get this message, if we aren't paying attention to the righteousness of God that is revealed through this gospel message? Well, Paul answers that as he's supporting uh, his previous claims as well in verse 18. And so if we continue in verse 18, Paul writes, For because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse." So Paul is saying, if this gospel message, the righteousness or the relevation of God's righteousness, if that doesn't get your attention, then God's wrath will be revealed to you. For God's righteousness is revealed to the righteous and the wrath of God is revealed to those who are unrighteous. As God reveals himself to his creation, God reveals himself to every single person. And all we have to do is we have to determine if we want a front row seat to God's righteousness, and we get a front row seat to his righteousness by, by putting our faith in him, a living and active faith, and we get a front row seat to that because that, that is the message, that's a gospel message that saves us, that message of God's righteousness. Or do we want a front row seat to his wrath? If we don't have a living an act of faith in God and his son, Jesus? Do we want a front row seat to his wrath where we'll be uh, cast into the lake of fire? And so here Paul says that everybody is without excuse. God makes himself known to the world through his creation. I mean, just take one minute and observe the stars of the sky or the sand of the seashore, the trees of the forest, the animals of nature, the snow as it fall from the heavens, or better yet, take, take a look at the masterpiece of God's creation, you and I. That is all the proof that there is a God who reveals himself to us through his, even through his nature. You cannot tell me that this all happened by chance or by a mistake. That takes so much more faith than believing in an intelligent being who created all of this. So many details had to be perfectly tuned to make the planet habitable for you and I. Not even talking about all the complexities of you and I and the, the, the miracle of life. You cannot convince me that this is all by chance. This is all evidence that there is an intelligent being who created the heavens and the earth and everything that is within the heavens and the earth. So Paul continues in verse 21, and Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy th creeping things, not creepy things, creeping <laughs> things, <laughs> excuse me. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so as everybody is without, without excuse to know God, some choose not to put their faith in him and blatantly dishonor him. And instead of giving uh, the glory to God, they go and they give the glory to human beings or to the different animals or to the creation. They're giving glory to the creature, not the creator. And this is a dangerous, dangerous game to play. It's a game that our world is playing 
today. This is essentially idolatry that, that Paul is talking about here in this letter, giving the glory and honor that is due to God to some other being or thing. When I think about our society that we live in, uh, some of the big idols uh, in our society, I think of money. Uh, you know, everything is all about the dollar bill in America. Jesus tells us you cannot, a fact of life, you cannot serve both God and money. And so money can become a huge idol in our life. I think of sports. I love sports. I love playing sports. And I love watching sports. But man, they become a frustration for me as well. As not only the world, but Christians in America prioritize sports over God. And, and that's sad uh, for me to see. Sports play, could play a huge idol in our lives. A significant other. A lot of people, they, they may make their significant other the most important thing in their life. Let me tell you, your significant other cannot handle that burden. They, they cannot handle the expectations that you put on them. If they are your idol, it will only crush them. It will only damage your relationship if your significant other is your idol. The same could be said, uh, I think, especially uh, in the church in America. I think family uh, can become a big idol in our life as well. Sometimes we make our kids, our parents, our siblings, or spouse uh, more important to ourselves than to God. And essentially, then, we, we are worshiping the creation, and we are not worshiping the creator. And we have to stay away from that. But when we give these things and people the glory and honor and respect that is due to God, first and foremost, we're playing a dangerous game. We're, we're, we're worshiping an idol in this case. And we see the repercussions uh, of idolatry here as Paul continues in verse 26. Paul says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their, uh, for their error. So because people refuse to worship God but worship the creation, God gives them up to dishonorable passions. And the dishonorable passion that Paul here is describing in verse 26 and 27 includes acts of homosexuality. Homosexual acts were alive and well in ancient Rome. Even Roman mythology had instances of same-sex relationships among the gods or between gods and mortal men. It's, it's a very, very sensitive topic in our society today. Without delving into the political landscape of homosexuality in our world today, we see consistent throughout both the Old and New Testament that acts of homosexuality, they are sinful. They are not a part of God's design. And as Christians, as children of God, as Christ's followers, we must stay away from this practice. And for our fellow Christians, we are to hold them to the standard. We should seek to correct the, the way of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ if they go down this path. I think for those outside of the church, I think we're called to love them. We should seek to win them over with our love. I think this is very consistent with Paul's letter uh, to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Paul writes, For what have I uh, to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. 
And so we as Christians, even though we, we, we identify that homosexuality is a sin both in the Old and the New Testament, I, I do not believe it's our job to judge the homosexual acts of those outside of the church. I think we simply try to win them over with love. For those who claim to be Christians, that's when I think it's our duty and our responsibility to love them by trying to help them correct their ways. And so Paul here, he, he continues and he goes and he continues in describing the repercussions of when we worship the creation rather than cr the creator. In verse 28, Paul writes, and since they do not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so here, I uh, leave it to Paul uh, to give a pretty ugly description of the times for those who don't worship God. Tacitus uh, was a Roman historian, and he wrote of this period that Paul was writing to. And Tacitus writes, I'm entering upon the history of a period rich in disasters, gloomy with wars, rent with seditions, savage in its very hours of peace. All was one delirium of hate and terror. Slaves were bribed to betray their masters, freedmen their patrons, who had no foe, was destroyed, was destroyed by his friend. So the, the Roman Empire, it was very rich in luxuries, but it was also at the same time very rich in immorality as well. And Paul says that when people give up God in their lives, they take on all of these different characteristics. And what Paul here is describing a person is a person that uh, is not very pleasant uh, to be around, as they are evil, covetous, malice, gossips. They're foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And he goes on and on and on and on with this really brutal depiction of someone who worships the creation rather than the creator. As when this takes place, God gives them into these desires. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And so when people give up on God in their lives, they essentially lose their humanity as well. They're bringing judgment upon themselves. And that's not a place that, that we want to be in either. And so here at this chunk of scripture this morning, verses 16 through 32, uh, it's really a complex piece of scripture here. As again, Paul here, he, he is talking about, he's supporting his claim all the way from verse 15. He says, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And Paul essentially plays this why game uh, with, with his audience there. He, he's essentially asking these rhetorical questions and asking them. And so Paul starts off in this, this section talking about how he's eager to preach this gospel message to them in Rome. And throughout all of these whys are because he ends up in talking about the depravity of mankind. And how terrible it is when we don't put our faith in God 
and we don't worship him first and foremost, and we put our worship, our honor, and respect, and, and the things important in our life in things and people and not in God. And Paul here pretty well describes the process of how this deteriorates ourselves for God gives gives them up to dishonorable passions. He gives them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And so he kind of takes us on a wild roller coaster of wanting to preach the gospel message because he's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the gospel message that, that expresses the power of God, the salvation for everyone who believes. But for those who don't believe, there's unfortunate consequences because of this unbelief. And so all in all, in this chunk of scripture, we see that God reveals himself to mankind. And depending on how we react to that revelation, we will either see his righteousness firsthand or we will see his wrath firsthand. And it all hinges on whether or not we put our faith in him. And we're not talking about a faith that doesn't alter our life, but a faith that sincerely alters who you are as a human being. And so the decision is up for each and every one of us to make. Do we want to be a firsthand witness to the righteousness of God, or do we want to be a firsthand witness to the wrath of God? So I want to close with one simple question for you all to contemplate this morning, is what decision are you going to make? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for this gospel-saving message, this message of good news. Father, we thank you that through this gospel message, the message of your son and your coming kingdom, message of death and resurrection, I thank you that through faith we can have eternal salvation. Father, I pray that everybody listening online, I pray everybody within these four walls here, I pray that we all make that decision to put our faith in you in this gospel-saving message that we can be a first-hand witness to your righteousness. And Father, I pray that, that we can serve as witnesses in this world and we can bring in as many people as possible into your coming kingdom where they can witness firsthand your righteousness. So Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you do. We thank you for this beautiful world. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.